We meet today in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 22. We are considering the subject of fatalism and egotism. In this chapter, we see that Solomon adopts a certain philosophy of life known as fatalism. This was common among pagans. Buddhism is a fatalistic system, by the way. Platonism is also fatalism. In our day, certain cults give the impression of having a glorious faith in God, but actually the faith is fatalism. Fatalism says, what is going to be will be. You can't change it. If it's time for your number to come up, there is nothing you can do about it. This is a very popular philosophy of life in our modern society. It is called many things, but it is basically fatalism. Many people today are facing life with that view. Let us look at it. Solomon is seeking satisfaction apart from God, and he turns to fatalism. Here is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 to verse 8. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hurt, a time of war and a time of peace. I have heard this passage being talked about, even sometimes preached at funerals and on other functions when people are actually perpetuating the fatalistic approach to life. What we tend to forget is that Solomon is speaking like this because he is adopting a view of a person who is under the heavens, apart from God, under the sun, someone who has lost his bearing because he is away from God. You see, Solomon's fatalistic viewpoint, as he expresses it, is evident in our day, where we hear the expression, take life as it comes. There is a time to get and a time to lose. Well, if you played the stock market and you lost your money, well, that's the way it was to be. If you were a traveling man away from home and a certain woman was easy to get and you invited her up to your room, your philosophy would be 
There is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Taking life as it comes is a philosophy of fatalism. There are many people who do such. By the way, my friend, blind fate would be a terrible consolation. But how comforting it is to know that the events of the universe are actually ordered by a compassionate, gracious, long-suffering, faithful God. We don't need to embrace blind fate. Even though there is time to be born and a time to die, it is not coming by chance. It is not a fateful event. No, there is a compassionate, gracious, patient, and faithful God who orders the events of the universe. If tragedy strikes, we have but to wait patiently for the hour of redemption, my friend. As the Expositor's Bible commentary shows, verses 1 to verse 8 have a significant link with the motif of the book and relates closely to what comes before and what follows. Man is to take his life day by day from the hand of God, understanding that God has a suitable time for each thing to be done. The importance of this passage is that man is obligated to determine the right times for the right actions. When he does the right thing according to God's time, the result is beautiful, intimated by verse 11. A corresponding thought is found even in Ephesians 2 verse 10, indicating that God created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It does not look like everything was decreed on man against his will, although some events go past a man's comprehension, but it's not like it's decreed. God is actually ordering the events, but he is loving, he is gracious, he is patient, he is faithful. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 9 tells us, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? In other words, what is the use? Why fight it? If you can't fight them, join them. That is the kind of cliche that is bended about among many people today. This is the way men operate, especially godless people in the business world. Money is made on this kind of basis. Now, I think that you will find that men who live like this are not filled with joy at all. They are difficult to live with also. I imagine their wives have real problems as well. They have a cocktail, they drink so much in the evening, and they become sociable for several hours. After that, it is better to stay out of their way. Admittedly, God has his proper time for every event, but we naturally want to grasp the whole plan he has for our lives. What is the point of it all? We have to accept two facts that belong to man as he is. First, we have to take steps 
to discover and fulfill the duties to be done each day. Solomon says, I have seen the God-given tasks with which the sons of men are to be occupied. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 10. Solomon here has looked around and he says, I see people in trouble everywhere. So if I have escaped a little of it, I just consider myself lucky. That's all. You see, a fatalistic approach to life. Work here is referring to God-given task, is given to men by God in order to exercise himself. But his labor is ultimately controlled, not by man, the creature, but by God, the creator. Work in itself brings neither contentment nor spiritual satisfaction, my friend. Man cannot comprehend the great whole, but only the parts. Nevertheless, God is working with the whole universe and many kind and only in eternity will discover and understand the divine design. Meanwhile, doing the right thing at the right time yields a beautiful sense of fulfillment. The second thing to notice is that the thing that elevates us above the animal world, in addition to our God-given senses of eternity, is the desire to understand the whole. This accounts for all science, philosophy, and human knowledge, as well as theology. However, much we see things as units of knowledge and experience, we must try to bring these units into a meaningful whole. In this fallen world, my friend, the believer must ask, Lord, what would you have me to do now? I know my life has an eternal purpose and I desire to understand how all things work together for good. But I realize that I am not as you and I cannot say just why such and such thing has come to happen to me. That is the best attitude to have, not that of blind fate. Whatever will have to happen will just have to happen. That is not the attitude of a child of God. That is not the attitude of God's child. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. You see, God has allowed men to set the world in their hearts. So they will see that the world does not satisfy, that does not satisfy their hearts. Their hearts are still empty. Many men start out with the philosophy that they are going to get all that they can out of this life. They say, life is like an orange and I'm going to squeeze it all of its worth. And Solomon did that but it didn't satisfy him at all. He has made everything beautiful in its time. This is a testimony of God's purposeful plan for his creation. Even the evil and the tragic occurrences must bow to the good purposes of our sovereign God, according to Romans 
8 verse 28. The phrase, no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end, supports the idea that God has withhold or he has withheld from men the key to unlock the mysteries of life in order to force men to trust him. Job 38 to 41 talks about this. God has given men an entire universe and a vast eternity to seek to comprehend, yet finite men can only catch a glimpse of the holy purposes of God. The good news is, what God has revealed to us is sufficient for us to come into a relationship with him and become new creatures. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is a gift of God. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 12 to 13. Again, these verses are the second occurrence of the refrain where you find something to help you calm down, to help you easy when you at least see the light and the reference to God here. Nothing within man's power on this earth alone will deliver to him true and lasting happiness. However, there is a happy appreciation and enthusiastic enjoyment of the pleasures which God offers to those righteous ones who live according to his laws and commandments. Of course, his conclusion in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14 talk of that. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14. Now they talk about God's will as primary, but with this viewpoint, a man will say, if it's not God's will for me to be saved, I won't be saved. You see, fatalism leaves no place for the mercy and the grace of God. Fatalism says that God does not hear and answer prayer. My friend, it is God's grace and mercy and love that makes life exciting, my friend. These are the ones that make life exciting and they bring joy into life and give peace to the human heart. At first glance, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14 seems to suggest that nothing people do really matters. Ultimately, God's will is going to be done. But if nothing can be added or taken away from his work, then why should we attempt to do anything? Why not just wait for God to do everything? But that perspective forgets that God has chosen to do things through us as human beings. We are agents of God's power and purposes, not puppets who mindlessly jump at his commands or parasites who mindlessly sap at his provisions. God calls us to an intimate partnership with him. Given this reality, we can read Ecclesiastes 3 verse 14 as an invitation for us to link our goals, our dreams, and our skills to God's great designs. We come to another philosophy 
at this point, which we will call egotism or egoism. It is excessive love of self. An individual self-interest is the, the summum bonum of life. That is where Solomon turned again, egotism or egoism. Listen to him. Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. Now he is saying that all men are wicked. You can't trust anybody. This is a cynical, although I must confess a rather accurate viewpoint of the human race. And Solomon goes on in this vein of thought. Listen to him. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart, concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them, that they may see that they themselves are like animals. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17 to verse 18. Now, when you read such a thing, it is not very encouraging at all. We can see the pessimism that has engulfed this man. And now he is now turning to himself, as it were, to justify what he will do for himself and not anyone else. Listen to Solomon. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely, they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to the dust. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 19 to verse 20. Now, you recognize, and I'm sure that there are several cults which build on this statement. However, we must remember that this is the viewpoint of a man under the sun, living for self-interest. Now, living for self, enjoying life for self, is the reason men get involved in some projects which are good. For example, many men get interested in athletics and they give themselves to it. Others give themselves to art, others to literature, others to music, and many different things. These things are not wrong, but they are selfish. They gratify men's desires. Now, this viewpoint does not accept the optimistic conclusion. You see, evolution says that man was a beast, but that he now has become a man. Egoism or egotism or self-interest says that man is a beast which causes the individual to despise others. This philosophy produced the caste and the class systems in many parts of the world today. It leads to vanity and the feeling of being better than the other man. It has a pessimistic view point of death Man dies as an animal dies. Evolution is a form of this teaching, my friend. Although it says that man was a beast, this view says man is a beast. It is only a difference of time periods. 
both agree that we are going to die like an animal, that you have no soul, you have no spirit, so you might as well live like an animal. A very sad state of life. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes up, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 21. You see, Solomon recognized that man is different from the beast, for the spirit of the man goes upward, while the spirit of the beast goes downward, because he is only an animal. So I perceived that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 22. In other words here, Solomon is saying, this life is all we are going to get. Again, this is a modern teaching. Call it whatever you wish. That is the only thing worthwhile is to identify oneself with his environment and live like an animal lives. My friend, life apart from God is bleak, fatalistic, egotistic. It reduces a human being to the level of an animal. God never intended for humans to come that law. That is why he gave us his word to enlighten our darkened minds and his son to redeem us from the sinful nature. Today is the day for you to be rescued. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code 27 followed by 72641-4475. From within South Africa, it's 072-641-4475.